This morning, we are continuing our series through the book of Matthew. Um, And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. So let me read that for you this morning. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is God's word. Um, In April, my family and I were on vacation, and we went to Iceland, and we went to London. And uh, everywhere, we were in London in the weeks leading up to King Charles' coronation, And so everywhere we went, we saw flags that looked like this with his little outline there telling people, coronation time's coming. So all over London, there were flyers, there were billboards, there were flags, the newspapers were talking about. Everyone was saying, get ready for the new king. Uh, Advertisers took advantage of the coronation. So instead of maybe Kellogg's cornflakes, try coronation flakes. Try some out. Instead of um, Heinz ketchup, have some tomato king chip. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people from all over the world gathered in London to try and catch a glimpse of him on Coronation Day. Millions more people all over the world watched online or uh, live on their TV as it happened. About 10 million Americans watched the coronation. This event of the coronation of King Charles was a worldwide phenomenon. Also, I love his outfit. That is like what you wear to a coronation. He looks good. The like robe, the crown, the scepter, the little, I don't remember what that ball thing is called. Like, wow, that is what a king looks like. That is how you crown a king, right? You know where we wouldn't expect to see King Charles on coronation day? Setting the table for dinner, right? Um, Probably he wasn't who picked up the trash left behind by the crowds, He certainly was not scooping up the uh, manure left behind by the royal horses, right? Kings don't do that. Kings have other people to do that for them. But in our passage today, we're reading about a different kind of coronation. We said, right, Matthew uses the language of kingdom. And Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the new King David, the promised descendant of King David, who would rule on David's throne restore God's people, and bring justice and peace. So in these first few chapters of Matthew, the author is telling us all about this king, all about why we should believe that Jesus is the promised king. The book of Matthew starts as we went through with the genealogy, affirming this royal lineage, this impressive lineage that Jesus has. He tells us the story of Jesus' birth announced by angels. He tells us about John the Baptist, this herald who is announcing the coming of the king. And now in Matthew 3, 13 to 17, we are reading about Jesus' coronation, his official commissioning for the mission that God sent him to do. But this coronation is unlike anything that was expected. Instead of a royal carriage, instead of people coming to him, 
Jesus walked 70 miles from his home in Nazareth to meet John at the Jordan River. Instead of fancy dress and lavish banquet halls, Jesus goes to the edge of the wilderness to be baptized by a guy who eats bugs and wears camel hair. In this short passage, Matthew is telling us something about the mission of Jesus. And it's meant to be a lesson for us as well. In this snapshot of the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the book of Matthew, we're to see a pattern for our own lives, a pattern of what it looks like to serve God. It's a pattern of obedience, humility, and reward. Obedience, humility, reward. Over and over in Jesus' life, he chose to obey God the Father. Over and over in his life, he chose humility, and he was constantly keeping his eyes on the ultimate reward. Let's talk about how we see each of those themes in this story. The first few verses, let me read them once again, say, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now, for it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So Jesus comes to the Jordan River and says, Hey, John, baptize me. John is rightfully kind of incredulous. Uh, Jesus, probably you should baptize me. I don't think I should be doing that. Uh, So John and Jesus, we know, were second cousins through their moms. Their moms, Mary and Elizabeth, were cousins. In the, the, the Gospel of Luke, we read about how angels prepared both the parents of John and the parents of Jesus for their roles in God's plan. So from the time they were young, we can probably imagine Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah getting together and talking with excited anticipation and wonder about when and how all this would happen, how God's plan would play out in the lives of their sons. John must have grown up knowing who Jesus was, knowing that his only job was to get people ready for the incoming of Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up at the river and asked to be baptized by him, John's like, no way, not doing that. Which is an understandable reaction because he knows who Jesus is. But how does Jesus respond? We got to do this. This is what we need to do. The NLT translation of that verse says, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. We must carry out what God requires. Jesus knows his mission He knows that God wants him to do something, and he's going to do it. For God's plan to work how it's supposed to, he says, I need to be baptized, and John, you need to baptize me. So let's do it. This was the pattern of Jesus' life and ministry. He emphasized to his followers that he was on earth, not just to do what he wanted, but to do what God the Father wanted him to do. In John chapter 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And later in the book of Matthew, we see the most moving picture of Christ's choice of obedience to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified. Matthew 26 says, Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus, in his human form, did not want to die on a cross. There were probably many things over the course of Jesus' life that he did not feel like doing. But over and over, Jesus chose to obey the will of God. And John here models obedience. When he hears Jesus say that Jesus' baptism is what God wants, John consents. He says, okay, let's do it. And that right there, family, in the simplest terms, demonstrates the life of a disciple of Jesus. When God gives instructions, we say yes. When God speaks, we obey. Matthew wants us to see that disciples of Jesus do what Jesus does. Jesus obeys what God says, so disciples of Jesus obey what God says. When we make a choice to follow Jesus, we are choosing to give God control over our lives. We affirm that because he's God, he knows better than us how this life is supposed to work. And so we listen for his voice, we hear him speak, and then we do what he says. We say yes. Jesus' coronation ceremony began with obedience. So our job, our commission as disciples of Jesus begins the same way. When God speaks, we say yes. So Jesus chose obedience over and over in his life on earth. And in the story of his baptism, we also see Jesus' incredible choice to be humble, to choose humility How does baptism show humility? Well, do you remember what last week we said John was saying his baptism was for? (laughs) Last week we read that John was baptizing people as a sign of their repentance. Repent and be baptized. Baptism was a sign that they were shunning their old way of life and asking God to make them new. But what did Jesus have to repent of? Our faith tradition has affirmed that Jesus did not sin. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews says, that Jesus was tempted in every way we are, but he did not sin. So if Jesus didn't sin, why would he be baptized? (laughs) Which was a sign of repentance. Why would he do that? Well, this gets to the very reason Jesus came. See, Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus came as a human. He came as a human so that he could take his place with us. And not only to be with us, but to actually stand in our place and do what we're not capable of doing. So that he could fulfill all of those covenant obligations of faithfulness and obedience that were laid out for God's people in the Old Testament. Those obligations that the people of God could never quite live up to. Jesus was baptized, Harbor, not because of sin, but as an amazing act of solidarity. In his baptism, Jesus becomes one with humans who need to be baptized. Baptism is for sinners. Jesus' baptism was an incredible act of love. He gave up his rightful place of honor on heaven's throne. And he joined us in our shame by submitting to baptism. In Jesus' baptism, he took our sin on his body. 
So far from being just some routine ritual, Jesus' baptism is a striking picture of the humiliation Jesus endured for our sake. And that humility, that was a marker of his entire life on earth. Jesus was God, and he chose to be born from a human. If you've seen a birth, it's messy, right? Babies come out covered in blood and mucus. Their bodies are frail. They need their mothers for nourishment. Jesus was born not in a palace, but in the furthest place from heaven's throne imaginable, in a stable with animals. He was worshipped not by royalty, but by shepherds. He was chased down by a jealous king, He grew up in obscurity in a small town. And now, he begins his years of ministry, not like King Charles in fine clothing and announced with trumpets, but by taking his place next to sinful people and being baptized for sins he never committed. The entire life of Jesus is one long demonstration of humility and solidarity with sinful humans. He touched diseased people, taking on their uncleanliness. He made room for outcasts at his table and then made himself an outcast. And his life of humble solidarity eventually led to his death on a cross where he died in our place, paying the debt for sins that weren't his so that we could have the righteousness that only he possesses. Harbor, this is how much God loves you. God loves you so much. And Matthew wants us to know that this example of Jesus, that's the example of how he wants us to love others. This example of Jesus is for us to choose an attitude of humility in every space we occupy. Listen, humility is not about having, you know, being a doormat or having no opinions. Humility doesn't mean just feeling bad about yourself. Humility is about seeing yourself rightly in the scope of God's work in the world. Humility means that you understand that you have a role to play primarily as an ambassador for Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus. Humility means understanding, like John, that your role is to help people see the coming king, not be the king. Humility means, like Jesus, choosing to humble yourself instead of assert your rights. It means getting down in the mess with the people in your life. It means more listening and less talking, more purpose and less comfort. The way of Jesus is the way of humility. So over and over in Jesus' ministry, he chose to obey the Father, and he chose humility. Instead of looking for any kind of earthly reward or acclaim throughout Jesus' ministry, he looked only for the reward he knew was coming from the Father. And that's what happens in the next part of this story. After Jesus follows God's plan, he obeys and humbly participates in baptism. Then, in verses 16 and 17, God speaks. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There is so much happening in these two verses. So first, heaven opens, okay? Heaven opening is biblical language for God's revelation. So in the prophetic books, when heaven opens, God is about to do something. God is about to speak, about to reveal himself. Heaven opening means we're about to hear the voice of God. Then the Spirit of God descends like a dove. Now the dove was used in the temple as a guilt offering by those who were too poor to bring a sheep. A dove is also what Noah sent out after the flood when God was starting a new thing, a new beginning for humanity. And in other writings from that time, dove is the imagery used to describe the spirit at the beginning of time, of, at creation, hovering over the spirit, oh, hovering over the surface of the earth, hovering over the water as a dove. So all of these images taken together paint a beautiful symbolism of God's new creation, that a new creative act is taking place in Jesus that's going to make a way for even the least to participate anew in God's kingdom. And then finally, God speaks. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This phrase seems to be alluding to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of a servant that God would send to usher in his new kingdom of justice and peace. And Isaiah 42 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness, he'll bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. As we've been saying, Matthew wants us to believe that Jesus is the one the prophets were talking about. And so at the baptism of Jesus, Matthew sees the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah. The Spirit has come on Jesus. God's voice has spoken these familiar words from Isaiah over Jesus. Matthew is saying, listen, John, a prophet, is telling you this is who you've been waiting for. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is who we've been waiting for. And now the voice of God has spoken from heaven, affirming that this is his son. This is the one we've been waiting for. So what else do you need? Jesus is who we've been waiting for. That's Matthew's point. Jesus' choice to obey God will come with suffering. But here, Jesus receives a better reward than any human could give him. He gets to hear God's voice affirming his identity. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And just as in every other part of this book, as we're watching the example of Jesus, Matthew wants his readers to learn something from the example of Jesus. He wants them to know that being a disciple of Jesus, right? We said being a disciple of Jesus means following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and being committed to the mission of Jesus. Matthew wants us to be clear. This might bring suffering. This might bring pain. 
And in fact, Matthew's original audience knew all about the suffering that comes with following Jesus. See, many of them were being persecuted by Rome for following Jesus. Early Christians were often imprisoned, tortured, and killed in heinous ways, all for choosing to obey and follow Jesus. They knew that the price of discipleship was costly. Matthew wants them to remember where their reward is coming from. The ultimate reward is that their Father in heaven sees them and loves them and is pleased with them. Their destiny is to reign in heaven with Jesus for eternity. And everything else that might happen to them on this earth is worth that. And this is true for us. (laughs) The choice to follow Jesus, to choose obedience, to choose humility— It might be costly. It might cost us in our families. It might cost us in our jobs. It may cost us comfort. But Matthew wants us to know that if we choose to follow Jesus, if we choose every day to obey what God asks of us, if we choose to follow Jesus and his example of humility, then our reward is coming. It's coming when we arrive at the end of our lives and we get to hear the Father say, Well done good and faithful servant. So as we're thinking about and talking about this example of Jesus this morning, what is God saying to you? If you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, is he inviting you to listen to the testimony of others, to the words of scripture, and to what his voice is speaking in your heart? Is he inviting you to surrender your life over to him? Is he maybe convicting you as you look at the example of Jesus? Is there an area of life right now where you know you've heard God speak, but you haven't yet said yes? Is there something you know that he is asking of you that you haven't yet stepped in obedience to do? Or maybe your challenge is you consider the humility of Jesus. Does somehow this choice he made to humble himself, to become a human, to endure life on earth, to be baptized as though he was one of us, and then to die on a cross in our place, is that stirring something in your heart this morning about your attitude of humility? Maybe God's whispering to you, this is how much I love you. This is the length I would take to bring you back to me. Are you hearing his voice affirming how much he loves you? Or maybe you're tired this morning. (laughs) Maybe you've been laboring hard to obey what God's asking of you, and it is exhausting. You are just tired. (laughs) Maybe God's word to you this morning is simply a word of encouragement. I see you. You're mine. I love you. I'm pleased with you. We're going to just take some time here to pay attention to what God is saying to each of us this morning. The band is going to come back up. They're going to play a song. And this isn't a song for you to sing along with. This is a song for you just to sit and listen to. It's a reminder of where we're headed, what our goal is. So as you listen to this song, let the words wash over you. And listen for what God is saying to you this morning. So I'm going to pray, and I want to invite you just to sit and listen while the band plays this song. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the example of Jesus 
Thank you for the gift that is Jesus and all of what he did for us. We are broken human people that will never, on our best day here on earth, look exactly like Jesus. But that's the desire of our heart, is to look more and more like him every day. And so now, God, we ask that you would speak to us. That as we hear this song about where we're heading, what our destiny is, that you would comfort where we need comfort, you would give strength where we need strength, that if there's challenge for us, if there's conviction that you want to bring this morning, that you would lovingly do that in these next moments. Help us to hear what you have to say to us about our discipleship journey, our journey of following Jesus and becoming more like him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.